Thanks for reading for us, Rulene. My name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here with Kyle and Roger. So thankful you're here to worship Jesus. This is such a special service for a number of reasons. Um, my heart and my mind have been flooded with memories over the past five plus years. And, and I, I feel like it's overflowing this morning. So excuse me. Um, but I'm super excited for one really important thing this morning, and that is, uh, for the first time in over a year now, uh, we have Pastor George, or Officer Voigt, however you want to call him, uh, we have him back here visiting with us, and then he's also going to bring God's Word. Um, I, I remember uh, George preaching just over five years ago when I came and visited uh, as we were beginning this relationship, and God was doing something fresh in his gracious will for this church to shine Jesus boldly. And I was so happy and so excited uh, for what could come of that. And to be honest, um, I think one of the reasons that I'm still here after five years is because of how sweet and peaceful of a transition this was for the fellowship, for the community of believers right here. And one person that God used in particular for that was George. And so George, I want to call you up here and, and I need to share a little bit about uh, my brother here. Uh, George, I, I met George here in this building worshiping Jesus, but I really got to know him when I stepped into his patrol car at Greenwood Village Police Department. And I got to see how he handled the general public. And uh, I learned some things about him uh, outside the church that carried over here. Uh, but something you need to know about my brother is he has an incredible amount of loyalty inside of him. And it has overflowed in a number of different relationships. But one in particular is that George has served as a part of this church for over 40 years. Years in lots of different ways. Yeah, but loyalty, and I've seen that loyalty in a couple of couple of different ways. Um, one is that George is steadfast. You know, another word for steadfast is stubborn, right? And you, I would say you have stuck it out. You have decided between you and your God what is most important. And I think that's one of the reasons that you have been here for over 40 years. Just a steadfastness that's a part of your character, enduring hard things that I've watched, that I've heard uh, from you. And that has given me, um, that I feel like as a 34-year-old, that I am very soft. <laughs> and uh, and when, when I look at George and how he has encouraged me these past five years, uh, you have given me a, a toughness. Um, that was needed to stick it out through some hard times, and uh, you showed me that. So I appreciate your steadfastness for those 40 years that comes from your loyalty. But a uh, part of that loyalty, and probably a bigger part of it, is your love for people. And George, you have loved people. I've watched you love people so well. Um, I've, I've seen you watch strange people, and then I've also seen you watch. I've watched you love people for the long haul. Um, in this church, a part of this church, and that has that has made a huge impression on me. Um, I've never been a part of a memorial service for a homeless person, 
you know, but my brother right here has encouraged me, let's host them. Gabe, I want you to help me lead these memorial services. And, and I, I've never done, those things were so outside the box for me. Uh, but how you loved your um, your friends, men and women that are a part of the police force. Uh, I've so appreciated the unique way uh, that you love people. So I'm super thankful for you. And then how you have been a part of this church. I've got something we, we want to give you as a church. Titus, can you bring that up? And I want to read it for you. And, and you've given me a whole year to think about how I want to honor you. Because it's the first time you've come back. But we want to give you this plaque. And, and it says this. With sincere appreciation for George Voigt. We praise God for you, your persevering care toward the flock, your prayer, leadership, protection, and pastoral love shape our church. We admire your legacy of lifetime service and thank God for your faithful endurance in Jesus. First Thessalonians 5, 12-13 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Calvary Church, some of you, 1980 to 2020. We love you, George. We're thankful for you. Well, thank you. Seminary and both Old Testament professors were in the class. 
<laughs> so anytime you might feel inadequate for some reason, God's got that covered, okay? Um, when I started here, there were seven seminary professors and their families in this church. And one of the phrases we often used in law enforcement, what could possibly go wrong? Um, okay. So when we, you know, when I go back, that's what it looked like when, when I started here. And um, that, you know, one of the problems with having people who are professionals in the ministry, so to speak, is sometimes the folks in the church don't get to use their gifts, don't get to develop their gifts. And, don't, yeah. and I think that was one of the problems with having seven seminary professors here, uh, was who can do that? So they threw me in to do that. Um, doing, you know, and I, my background, the only background I have is the scriptures was Sunday school classes when I was growing up. Because I am the biggest mutt you will ever meet in your life. Okay? I have an associate's degree in engineering, a bachelor's degree in vocational education, and, and then I came to seminary. So, because you needed a seminary, you needed a bachelor's degree to get to seminary, so that's why. So what's the easiest one? Oh, education. I'll do that. So that was how, you know, I ended up out here, but everything that I learned was from my home church for preparation for seminary. So, Sunday school, the chances to have women's and men's Bible studies, that's, that's the heart and soul of it. Okay, otherwise, a lot of us aren't prepared to do what we need to do. So, um, I served as the associate pastor or the interim pastor as needed. Here. Um, sometimes, and I might get into this later, uh, anyway. Um, so I filled in when one pastor left and another pastor came. Um, and, and did that over quite a long period of time. <laughs> And kind of my role gave us, as you can mention, was always try to keep people together and make the transition um, to new leadership. And that was kind of way, kind of where my calling was. Um, and then when we got around 2018, we got to a point where we said we really need to seek a different direction to keep everything going here on the board. Just we have to. And we were seeking God's direction. And uh, Kat brought up this morning, and I do remember, I found one church who was willing to take up, take over as long as we gave them everything. They would pay for the missionaries for six months to a year, and they intended on putting a, a screen up here, and us being a satellite church of their church, but their stuff being broadcast from another location. And uh, I didn't like that, but I presented it to the church and said, hey, here's one offer we've had. And fortunately, everybody went, ah, I'm going to do that. Found another church that was renting a building that they weren't filling in the head. They lost the rent and they lost their lease. So I thought, oh, maybe we could combine. That God wasn't in that either. But when we um, had a chance to meet and talk, Gabe, and said, yeah, we really sensed that was God's fit for the ministry on this corner. And uh, it's, it's just great to be here to see what's going on here. Uh, I have always been bivocational. So the first 10 years of ministry here, I was here at the church, and I was running the building and grounds department at the Denver Seminary. Um, the next six years, I was working on Max Security Prison and working here. And then um, the last 
close to 24 years, I was a police officer in the village. So, if you don't think those things go together, people call the police when things are gone wrong and it's too late. People come talk to their pastor when things have gone wrong and it's too late. That's not supposed to be funny. But, but, but it's, it's really true. We need to be preventative. And the other people go, how do you do pastor cop? And I said, they're the same. They, they really do. And I can always go, you move, you meet Jesus. No, no one ever really did, ever did that. I wanted to, but, but I never did. So, about um, in November of last year, the year before, I moved up to Crawford. Um, it was over the, over the summertime, my wife uh, travels for the state, or traveled for the state, she loved that part of the country. Uh, I, um, you know, I grew up in New York City. Um, I'm sorry if anybody want to get a rope. Um, but, I, and, but my, one of my favorite musical artists was John Denver. And I'd always thought about living in a long home. And I always believed that that was impossible. Never going to make it to a lock home in the mountains. God did it. <laughs> okay? If you go out I 70 and make a left at Glenwood Springs and go to Carbondale, make a right, don't pass the sign that says 60 miles to the next gas. Because that's serious. You go to Hodgkiss, make a left, and go to Crawford, make a right, we're right there. Okay? Um, we are in the middle of nowhere, and um, I moved up there in November and tried to be retired. Failed miserably at being retired. Okay. Um, I, first off, I thought I needed to keep the house, the woodburn stove all the time going. So that would require me to stay up all night watching old World War II movies. Um, I burned six quarts of firewood. Um, didn't need to watch that much TV at two in the morning. So uh, we're, we, we're back <laughs> off of that, but we got a log home on 17 acres. Um, our record is 57 deer and 15 elk in the field at the same time. Um, we're learning, the, you know, that side of things. Uh, we do heat with a wood stove, so I uh, got to keep the wood going. Uh, the wood runs out. We're not not in real good shape. By the way, if the electricity goes out when you're in a rural area, you don't have any water. Wells. Mmm. You take that flush in the toilet for granted. Um, but there's some, you know, other firsts that have happened. I have been the guy on the John Deere tractor backing up the traffic on the two lane. I've been that guy now. It's awesome. Um, you know, I've gone to back my truck up with a. Uh, you know, big commercial trailer on it for loading some heavy equipment. I had to stop because there was a cow behind the truck. There's a cow in the mirror. Turn around, yeah, there really is a cow back there. And I can't run them over. So um, that's kind of a different area. And then you know, the other thing I've gotten to do is I've joined the fire department up there. Um, and so now I'm driving a fire truck. Um, and I'll tell you what, they're a little laid back up there. Um, here, there's a lot of liability, thought, 
people up there have never even heard the word politically correct, and they do not know what liability is. So the fire chief goes, bring a, you know, go, ah, just go take the fire truck out anytime you want. Just because well, you got to get used to it, so just come down, and take it out. What? Yeah, he means it. And when the family comes up for for a holiday, I can take take kids and grandkids and put them in the fire truck and get them for a ride. Well, what's that about? You can't do that. It's a liability. Somebody that hurt. You know, I don't know about liability up there. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Okay. I'm going to show you some pictures real quick just to give you a feeling for this. Um, and I hope we'll see if we see if it works. I think it'll work. It's up there. Oh, this is a traffic jam in Crawford. Um, that's how it is. Uh, you know, somebody brought sheep down. So this is this is the road up to my house. So there was quite a kind of setback there while we waited for the sheep to clear. Um, another, just to go ahead and give me the next one. Uh, that's what it looks like off my deck. Um, so off toward the toward the mountains there, and then uh, go ahead. Um, this is a little a little uh, outcropping of rock, and what I like about this is if the clouds are just right, the sun hits that outcropping of rock, and it's pure white. And if you need to be a light in the darkness somewhere, <laughs> when this happens, you can look out there and go, God, yeah. You, you reminding me that when things look bad, you need to be that bright light. Okay. Next one. Yes. Um, there's, that's where it is. Uh, it's just in the middle of nowhere. Um, the, the next one. That's a real sign too, by the way. Pavement in, about says it all. Um, I got three quarters of a mile of dirt road to get to my mailbox. Um, this is the closest traffic signal. It's 40 miles away. Okay. And then... Um, and that no snow climb. I live on one of those roads now. There's no snow climb from 7 o'clock at night to 5 in the morning. Okay? You better take care of yourself or not be dumb enough to go out there. You know? Or because chances are if you run off the road, um, your cell phone don't work anyway. So that's that's kind of where I am. I think that might have been, I don't know if there's, is there, I think that was it. Yeah. So that's kind of where, where we're living right now. Um, the two worst term things we ever had here. Services. Worst ones ever. We had a missionary in, and we got a potluck. Some one or two of you might remember this. We had a, what happens at potlucks? We checked out that theory about loaves and fishes. Right? There's always too much food. Everybody always eats too much. And then, and then we had a presentation on world hunger. <laughs> there was so much guilt from that. Man, I think your mom's still, she's still paying world hunger, isn't she? I think so. I think she's still convicted. She's still paying world hunger. Um, so don't don't do a potluck and have a world hunger thing. You know, have a like bean dinner or rice dinner or something like that. Don't, don't have a potluck. Um, the other thing I used to, uh, this time of year, we were getting ready to come up to um, Easter, just to do a series called uh, 50 Day Adventure, and I was with a guy named David Maines, and uh, one of the sermons that we did in that series had to do with decluttering your life, because sometimes we get so much stuff around us, we get so 
so much stuff personally going on that we can't hear God calling us to do anything because we don't have a minute spare to do anything. So there was a, a series, part of the series was on decluttering. Big mistake. There were people that actually listened to that sermon. And they decluttered their lives and God called them to go somewhere else and they could go because they decluttered. Don't have people declutter. They'll end up moving. I mean, you know, it's just a junk around them's keeping them. Whatever, whatever reason. So, um, I say, but you know, there's still people 30 some years later supporting world hunger. And there's other folks that God gave them the opportunity to move and they were able to do because they decluttered. But, uh, but that caused us to lose some folks on the deal. Uh, there's worse things to lose people over, I guess, in this sermon on decluttering. Um, it's not an immediate thing anyway. It takes, you know, you have clutter, it might take a while, but it could get us there, right? Um, Barb, I didn't even look at you when I said that, and I saw the look on your face. So, no. if God is speaking, no. From Ephesians. Now, I'm going to skip verses around in here, because the great thing about being coming back to visit, I don't have to deal with hard stuff. Any hard stuff in here? You ask him. That's Dave's realm now, so... Um, but Ephesians 4, 4, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, as you were called to one hope, or as you were called to, to hope when you were, I'm sorry, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father over all, who is over all and through all. And I'll just get some hard stuff. Uh, then uh, seven, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And down to eleven, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become sure attaining the whole measure of the fullness. So the leadership in the church's job is to equip so that the rest of us can do the ministry. If we switch that around so that we expect the leadership to do the ministry, then we are losing out on the opportunity to minister and we're losing out on the multiple opportunities that God has for us to do. But back to where I skipped over the gates I have to deal with. Um, uh, 15, instead of speaking the truth and love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So our mission as a body, Christ, is, I'm going to say, first off, we need to know each other. We need to enjoy each other. We need to be building together as a body so we're closer than family. And I'll explain some of those things as I go through here. You know, one of those things um, that I found, and I found it to be a problem over the years, all the time that I was... A, the interim pastor, 
That's when everybody in this church died. There was a senior pastor, or maybe one that did one funeral. The rest of the time, everybody waited until I was there. Now, one of the things about doing funerals that I really enjoyed, and if you will, follow me, is getting to know somebody, working to find out who that person was and what they'd done in their lives. And oftentimes I thought, I wish I had known that about that person while they were alive. And what that told me was, we don't know each other the way we, we should. We should know each other so we know each other's stories. So we know where we've come from and where, you know, where God's taking us to. And that doesn't happen if we're not getting together. So whichever, whenever we have opportunities to get together, that's what we need to be doing. Um, when we know each other, we can have humor between us. We can kid each other. Now, one night, I was getting late for work going in on the police job, and I used to walk all the bars in Greenville Village. I was late getting out the door, and I took my chat stick, and I picked it up and I put it on. My mouth wouldn't dry out, and the lips wouldn't dry out. And the third bar that I walked into, one of the bar uh, waitresses went, Oh, a little special today, huh? I put glitter chapstick on it. <laughs> now, you know when a cop in full uniform walks into your bar with glitter lipstick on Now, nobody in the first two bars even thought that they didn't even think to say anything to me. But the one uh, bartender waitress goes, Hey, look at you. Uh, what about me? Glitter on well, when I, I did meet him, I didn't know he was in there, but our youth pastor was in the bar. It was Friday night. Sunday morning when I came in here and I went from the chair and I came up here to speak, I looked out there and every man in the church had glitter lipstick on. And I went, oh, I'm going to get somebody. But, you know, that's a... Uh, that's a sign that we can enjoy each other <laughs> and we can have fun with each other and that's that's what we should do Barb, I promise no bad stories <laughs> nothing about Volkswagens but um, Barb came and rode with me one night and went up on the highway to show her how the radar worked Sure enough, somebody came along, speeding, so I went after him. And as I got on the air to, to them, making a traffic stop or exiting in Arapahoe, my colleagues who knew me, knew the sound of my voice, which is what we're aiming for as a church, they heard something in my voice that told them there's problems. And they all started heading in my direction. <laughs> well, the guy took off running. I took off after him. Barb. 
I think you're squealing. Um, but, but actually, it was one of those closest uh, things where you maybe if you've seen uh, where guy drove into the Taco Bell lot. I think he did by mistake and um, bailed out of the car, let the car roll. The car rolled into some bushes. I took off after the driver. The passenger ran back past the car, and after it kind of calmed down, I got back and I said, "Barb, did you see the guy?" She goes, I didn't know if I was supposed to chase him. <laughs> she said, no, Barbie, you need to chase him. <laughs> what do you look like? Woo! <laughs> I'm like, eh, with the white guy, the black guy, I don't know. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So, um, but she got back at me because uh, the guys, oftentimes bad guys, not to categorize anybody, but they'll wear multiple layers of clothes. And they pull off different layers of clothes, so they present a different ID. And um, my buddies that came in um, caught him. He was running. He stripped him uh, half naked because he run out of layers of clothes to get rid of. But uh, I found some of his clothes in the dumpster, and I was having to climb into the dumpster to get the clothing. And I mistakenly handed my evidence camera to Barb. And she thought it'd be a great idea to take pictures of me in a dumpster in my uniform. She did not do that, but she was thinking about it. So, you know what I'm saying? The point of that is that my work crew that I worked with knew me so well, and I knew them so well, that I could tell by the inflection in their voice that something was wrong. Just, I was able to pick up on that. They were able to pick up on what I was doing. So, we need to be that close as a family so that we, when we sense hurt or we sense trouble, we can respond. And it, it's really important stuff. We need to be about building each other up. You know, encouraging each other, that's the most one of the most important things we can do for each other. Because we don't know what other people are going through that we're sitting next to here today. And a word of encouragement from you might make all the difference in the world for their whole week. And we can change things just like that by being sensitive and saying, hey, maybe how are you doing? Or, hey, that was a great job. You want to scare the life out of Gabe? Call him up on Thursday and ask him something about the sermon from the last Sunday. Hey, you said this, you know what that meant to me? Uh, can I ask you something about that? Scare the life out of him if you were listening that close. Um, but be encouraging. Be encouraging um, to Gabe, be encouraging to the leadership of the church, be encouraging to, to each other, because it's really, really important. Who is the son of encouragement in the Bible? Barnabas. When we think of Barnabas and Paul, who was the mentor, and who was the mentor <laughs> Barnabas was Paul's mentor. <laughs> it was Barnabas that when, when Paul got converted from the guy that was killing Christians, <laughs> it was Barnabas that went to encourage him to come meet and minister. It was Barnabas who brought him to the other apostles and said, hey, yeah, this guy's okay, I've met with him, he's, you know, he's good. It was Barnabas that went with him on a missionary trip to kind of help him relate to Gentiles. Because Apostle Paul wasn't very good at that. 
Remember, he was a Pharisee, and he kind of was pretty stubborn, um, you know. But he got this guy to Barnabas that mentored him, and you know what? That's that's amazing. We would not have had the Apostle Paul if we didn't have Barnabas. Now I'll remind you that they got into quite an argument over whether or not John Mark should go on on the next missionary journey. And an argument was so bad they parted ways. Wait a minute. Uh, you know, I don't know that God really wanted that to happen. He knew, of course, it was going to happen. But you know what happened? There was two different ministries that started. Two different mission trips got started. And that John Mark guy that Barnabas supported and Paul didn't, what, what did he end up writing? The book of Mark. First book written in, in the New Testament. So we need some people that are encouraging, that see the possibility in people, and go, go get it. You can be the, the Barnabas. If you don't, if you can't spell it, you can still use your own name. So that, that works out fine. Um, we need to be supporting each other in life and in ministry. What, because if you see an opportunity for ministry and you think it's just you, you've got to go do it. But it's different when you've got the whole church body behind you. When you can make the phone call and you can go say, hey, um, you know, let's do this together. You know, in, um, in law enforcement, we, we have what we call a cover officer. That's, you know, somebody, you know, somebody goes on a traffic stop, another officer might come and sit a little ways off to kind of watch what's going on. And also let the bad guys know or, sorry, the poor citizen pulled over for his inadvertent action. Um, let him know there's another set of eyes. <laughs> there's, there's help. Um, we need to be that kind of cover and that kind of backup for each other. Because we're more likely to go try something if we know we've got help. <laughs> okay? And uh, we know we've got encouragement. Um, one example from up where I am now, and I told you I get to drive a fire engine now, which is great. You know, bring, bring the kids up, throw them in the fire engine, take them out for a ride. But I live in a very rural area. Fire hydrants are very strange. We don't see fire hydrants. And some of you, I can tell you, depend on those kind of areas. Um, so when there's a house on fire and the fire engine goes out, and we hope to have two, maybe three people, if we're lucky, volunteers on that fire engine. they got 750, uh, 750 gallons of water on them. That's it. You know that little turret on the top of the fire engine? You turn that thing on full blast, you got 30 seconds of water on that truck. Part of a fire of 30 seconds. But the next truck coming is the tender. It's got 3,000 gallons of water that fire, that first fire truck going out, setting up, getting hoses, making sure things are ready to go. If that tender doesn't show up, that house is burning down and maybe spreading all over the place. The first the truck doesn't, the first truck wouldn't even think of going out if there wasn't a tender coming behind them with more resources. Okay. And that's what we need to look at because when we run into challenges of fighting the good fight, 
taking the fight to the devil, to whatever opportunity opens up, we need to know we got a body behind us. We need to know that there's other folks that are going to jump in here and help in this ministry. That has happened here a number of times. Okay, when I worked for the prison system, my my you know they're all contrary to what you might think. I know they're all innocent, but um, they'll tell you that. Um, but there was when I was in there, there was nobody in the prison that had wasn't on their third or fourth felony. Okay, you kind of have to work your way into prison. You got to earn it. Um, and I said to my clerk, who's a murderer. He backed over his wife with the car. It, it probably had been okay, but he ran her over two more times. You know, so it was hard to say it was an accident. But um, he's my clerk, and you know, it was, it was November, and I said to him, "Well, uh, you guys get people in here to go Christmas caroling, don't you?" Hey, he looked at me and laughed. Says nobody coming into a security prison. Christmas carol. You know what? I knew the congregation here. And I said, I'll bet you, wife runner over, that I can bring a bunch of people out here to Christmas Carol. And I came back to the church and I said, hey, how about Christmas Caroling? You know, instead of going to the nursing home, where this time of year, you've got to get on the schedule, and those poor folks are getting three times a day for three weeks in a row, and they completely left alone again. Another story. But that's what happens around Christmas time when we see. So I said, how about we go to this prison? And I know I challenge some of the folks in the church. Because you know there's the clanging doors and the bad guys. And you know, we were okay until the guy that was our music leader at the time was also a magician. Um, he brought a pair of scissors to cut something in a magic joke. And I'm like, when he pulls the scissors out, well, let's just say I had to have my underwear surgically removed. So, at, at any rate, you know, we went in, and then for years, we went as a body to the prison and sang Christmas carols in a max security prison. You know what? George don't sing. But I was able to see where there was an opportunity and then reach back to the congregation and say, how about doing this? How about joining me in doing this? Enormous impact on people. Enormous impact on people. Another thing we did here for a number of years was we had a law enforcement appreciation day. That came from when I was riding as a chaplain, and I used to see what the guys were doing, and I said, well, man, this is great. You're going to be some kind of a war. Something will happen over this, right? No, no. Nobody will ever hear about this. And I said, well, that's just why I'm wrong. So I came to the congregation here and I said, hey, can we have a once a year have a day where I contact most of the law enforcement agencies around here and find out things that people should be recognized for what they did? Yeah. Well, we, we printed up certificates, invited the cops in. We'd have a, we'd have a great time um, celebrating the things they had done, giving them certificates. And I've had at least three officers contact me over the years and say that's the most important award I ever got. Was when a church and the community recognized what I had done and chose to, to recognize me. Now you have to be careful with that. 
one guy that was a big part of saving somebody's life, and um, and I didn't realize that he hadn't seen the girl in two years. Um, I had her and her family here come up and present him that award. <laughs> He's one of the ones that tells me that's the most meaningful time of his law enforcement career was when the family came up and gave him an award for saving their daughter <laughs> in a church service. Does that help us reach out to the community? You know, you absolutely know it does. And that continued as we transitioned because we had a homeless guy the cops were taken care of. Sorry, that doesn't fit the stereotype. But we did a homeless guy we kind of adopted. We were buying him, you know, when his tent got stolen, we were buying another tent. When his you know, shoes got wore out, we were buying shoes. That being the cops who were buying him shoes. Well, we helped him get an ID. Uh, so it turns out a fraudulent one because he wasn't honest with us who he was or he didn't remember. Okay? And we, you know, his body was found in a field with no family. And we said, you know, that's just not right. And I got a hold of Dave and said, Dave, can we have this memorial service for a homeless guy? <laughs> and Dave said, yeah. And he didn't tell me. He was like, what are you doing? What are you dragging me into? But we had such a good turnout from the community and from the folks in, in this body to help support that service that there were city council members from Greenwood Village that came and they, how did this happen? Why is are you having a memorial service for a homeless Baptist church? What you know? How did this all occur? And my chief was really he goes he was like, well, we get involved in this. We we we, we do this. How we do that? Cat knows him, so I is that a reasonable explanation? What do we do? What do we do? And then, so and I'm like. He goes, well, where is he? I said, well, I picked his ashes up from the, you know, the crematorium. Well, where is he now? I said, he's on my mantle with the dog's ashes. <laughs> he goes, you got the dead guy in your living room? I said, well, yeah. Where, where, you want to put him in the corner of the garage? I said, you know, well, what's the deal? But he said, well, what, what are you going to do? I said, well, we're going to have a memorial service at the church. Well, who's having a memorial service? He's like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, we know. I said, group of believers in the community are going to honor this guy. <laughs> and we did. And it had an enormous impact on people. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a church that gave the homeless guy a memorial service. You know, you can reach out when you see opportunities for ministry around you, but particularly if you know you have backup from your church. And you will look for and find ministry opportunities if you know you have backup from the church. So I'd encourage you to be looking, you know, looking around. We need to be able and be ready to come to one another's aid. And this is kind of where I'm going to end up today. We need to come, be willing and ready to come to each other's aid. Um, the, You know, when a police officer gets on the radio and calls for help, there is no better sound than sirens lighting up. And you know help's coming. I pulled into the same Taco Bell lot that Barb cursed. 
Um, I saw some kind of disturbance when I go into pulling as I'm pulling in the lot. The, I realized that I'm pulling right in the middle of a fight. And they're now going out over the air about the fight. I can't get on the air to say I'm there. I get out of the car, I got one guy stabbed in the chest, another guy missing part of his ear. And uh, I'm like, all right, everybody don't move. And I got on the air and I said, I'm at Taco Bell 10 at gunpoint. And the first guy to get to me was Douglas County. Because when the call goes out for help, help's come. And we be like that as a church, where we're willing to call for help, and we're willing to rush in to help. Now the guy that had the most dangerous time there was a guy mouthing off to me, right in front of me. By the way, if you yell at everybody to get on the ground, that's not a good idea where there's lots of cars parked, just in case you ever get in that position. Because I had to climb on the top of their truck to look down and see where everybody was. But the real mouthy guy in front of me that was missing part of his ear was just giving me all kinds of grief. And then he looked at me, because this is when he almost died. He said, you're Jackie's dad. And I looked at him, and that little booger dated my daughter. And it was almost his last statement, but not. So, um, um, but you know, because I started out as a chaplain in the police department, and I got involved in trying to help a woman get out of a witch pole. Yes, Martha, there are witch poses around. And um, she was being used as a breeder. Um, let's just say she was having children that were being sacrificed to the saint. And uh, I will get that guy that got me involved in that someday. Um, but I was helping her move someplace, and then about two weeks later, um, she had gone back into the coven. And I got up out of bed in the morning, not having any thought about it, and I went to step out of bed, and my foot went out from under me, and I fell on the ground. Phone rang, it was her. How's your foot? <laughs> and the first call was to the members of the church. Right. We got a problem. Pray that whatever they're trying to put on me goes back on them. Never heard another word from her. But you know what? If you don't handle the backing of body, you better not be taking on the challenges that are there. Um, I don't want to talk too much about other pastors that were here. But I'm with that one. We had a guy that was kind of interesting. Everybody that, by the way, that was here was meant to be here. Either both for what they could bring to the church and both what they needed from the body. And we had a guy here who was kind of interesting. I guess we'll leave it at that. Um, Joe Bright, one of the sweetest guys in the world. He was watching this guy try to move rocks out in the landscaping. And he was trying to shovel rocks with a pitchfork. 
And Joe is one of the sweetest guys over there. Right? And he goes, you know, he said, I've never seen anybody do that before. And, and that's all he said. Was it? But that particular um, pastor didn't understand. Um, I was uh, I was on a call where I had uh, an 11 year old guy in my arms um, trying to do CPR, and being a little shorthanded um, after they transported her, uh, they said I had to stay and watch the crime scene. Oh, wait a minute! You're supposed to get like counseling and that kind of stuff. And I called this pastor up and I said, Hey, I'm you know I'm here and this is what's happened. And he goes, what he said to me was, well, you're a police officer. I didn't think things like that bothered you. Um, didn't have the idea that we're all in this together and we all need each other. And I'm encouraging Dave that if you've got something going on, you call him. You call him. One of these folks, you talk to him. And then we need to be there to support him because the tip of the sword is where the battle's happening. So we need to support each other and rescue each other. And we need to look for how we need to be going out. One um, last illustration I'm going to use is a dog. My, uh, when my wife and I met she had a little dog, Charlie, and uh, Charlie was an awesome dog, except he barked too much and he stole food. Um, the barking was terrible, um, and his stealing food was worse. He did in the cabinet and ate a five-pound bag of trail mix, and he was loaded around to begin with, but his belly dragged, you know, and. Um, then Charlotte was on the internet and she's at work and I happen to be home and go, oh, give him uh, hydrogen peroxide. And I'm like, it says not for internal use. You're too legalistic. Like, okay, all right. The internet says, therefore it must be true, um, that we give some hydrogen peroxide a little bit to each one of the dogs. Well, it take care of the problem, by the way. Um, immediate projectile vomit, which you don't want to be anywhere near. But Charlie um, liked me right off, which is the only reason Charlie married me. Um, but uh, Charlie, we would be out walking, and well, the verse that this is about is brothers and sisters, this is from Galatians 6. If someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch out for yourself that you're not tempted. And I was in Chatfield Park with Charlie, and, and he stopped, and he turned around, and he came back, and he was limping towards me, and then he held his paw up, because he had a bird stuck in the paw. And he came for me to remove the bird. And I went, okay, well, hey, that's, you know, you, you know you can trust me to do that. But the illustration for this verse, he's out in the backyard one night, and he wouldn't come in. I'm like, I'm calm, 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 and come in. And I get my flashlight and I'm out there looking at spot and I see his eyes. Carol, sorry if I've used this illustration before, because I had to change things three times because my wife said, You know, Carol, he'll be there if he's he's writing notes in his Bible. If you do the same sermon again, he's got you. Um, so, so I'm like, uh, 
true story. You know, and when you're here four weeks and then you're gone four weeks and back four weeks, you know, I had a bad weekend, I had to do something old, you know. Carol did. Um, but Charlie wasn't moving. And I saw his eyes on Holland, he wasn't moving. He's just sitting still. And I went out there to see what was going on. And Charlie had hooked his collar on a plant, a hanging plant. Um, when my wife puts new plants up, she takes the old plants down and sets them down. Um, they'll be near the plant from last year that was taken down and set down. Um, and Charlie hooked his collar and he couldn't move because he's driving the plant. Charlie was snared. <laughs> He didn't even know what to, he didn't know what to do. He was scared. And he needed somebody to come out and unhook that planter so he could continue about being what he was about. There are people here that are snared. And they don't know how to ask for help. But if we're the kind of people who reach out to get to know one another, if we're kind of people whose fellowship is so tight we can tell by the sound of our voice, what's going on in our lives and whether we need help. If we're the kind of people who are ready to rescue each other when something happens, or ready to back each other up when God calls us into some particular ministry, every one of you, this week, is going to run across something where God's grace needs to be inserted. And some of those situations are going to, you're going to need help. You'll turn away from those situations if you don't have the knowledge that the family is ready to come help you. And we'll miss opportunities to spread the word. So keep, keep the ministry going here. Okay? If we could have every person from the beginning of when, when I started here, until today, who's now in the ministry, serving someplace else in this room, we would not fit. Okay? Because there's lots of people that have come here and ministered to and gone on to be serving the Lord all over the globe. And then, you know, but they're not here. So we need to work on the ministry here. What I, what I would say about you know, past, pastor interns that come along and seminary students, if you get that one for I mean, no, that fortunate, is that one of their tasks is to replace themselves while they're here. Part of your internship here, when you're having an opportunity to minister, is you find somebody that you can help and bring into the body. Because if we send people out without bringing people in, we dwindle. But the effect we have is worldwide, and we've got we've got ministry, you know ministries going on on continents all over the world from people who are members of this church over the years. We've got people you know just recently that have gone out and started other church plants and done stuff like that. They're all over. So sometimes we don't see the broader effect of what's going on, but it's world-changing. David Maines and 
the 50-day adventure, one of the things was his thought was that revivals come when things are bad. <laughs> Every revival that's ever happened, things are really bad in society. Now, I don't know if you think things are doing real great right now. Um, and different information we're getting, it's confusing people, it's causing people to be at each other because, well, I heard this, no, I heard that. Um, well, I'm hoping, my prayer, my hope, is that what's about to happen is people are about to wake up and realize they need Jesus. We need outposts of believers that are ready to meet that need when that happens. Because I believe it's coming. I don't see any other way out of where we are right now in our society. So stand fast, get to know each other, support one another, rescue each other. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your body that's here and for the opportunities that uh, were in the past, but more for the opportunities that are in the future. God, may we each be ready to move forward with what we see that opportunity you've presented before us. And God, may we always be ready to support and rescue each other and run to help when that ministry opportunity comes open. We just ask this in your son's name. Amen.